Lesser Light by Matthew Draper Chapter 9 26th December Boxing Day the heat of the train dissipated rapidly as I disembarked at Manchester Station and aimed towards a queer-owned coffee shop across the bridge, down a few steps and an alleyway into the gay quarter. I knew a few good spots here, although I had never spent much time on Canal Street, despite the location being one of the most famous LGBTQI plus safe spaces, filled with nightclubs, karaoke joints and eateries pressed along the canal with high fences, preventing anyone from tipping into the water after celebrating too hard during Manchester Pride. Opposite the bars and cafes, a peaceful park provided refuge from the noise of the city. Sackville Gardens was made of green lawns and metallic art. At the heart of the park, a sculpture bench gave passers-by an opportunity to sit and commune with a statue of Alan Turing, the well-known codecracker from World War II who was tortured for being a man who loved men at a time being so was considered illegal. He passed away with an apple half-eaten beside his bed. Very Adam and Eve, very father of us all. I wondered, gazing through the chain-link fence across the water into the park, whether he might have been able to crack the mystery of the files I had been sent on Christmas Day. Instead, I roped in Lizzie to help me. Alan Turing is not my favourite Manchester queer icon, which has to go to Harry Stokes, who died in 1859 and led a very ordinary life as a bricklayer, business owner and trans man. It is only because we have access to court documents, firstly from a divorce and later from newspaper rumours after he died, we are aware he existed as an ancestor in local transgender history. No one lives in a bubble. He must have had his own struggles without being able to talk to people around him, to seek advice or to trust even some of the people closest to him. He appears to be someone who knew who he was and how he wanted to present himself to the world. I wonder if not being able to speak about it left him awake at night, filled with anxiety, repeating sentences over and over in his head, having entire conversations with an audience that was never truly there. Happy Christmas, darling! Lizzie emerged in front of me from the fog, which hung about the canal. She wore a pinstriped party suit under a camel skin jacket, with a scarf so enormous it was only outlarged by the size of her bag, which I knew would contain a wealth of useful items for our quest. Let's get inside! In retrospect, I should have picked up a Christmas present for her, since I think that is the rule within the Eve Day boxing window if you see friends. Instead, I promised to pay for the drinks. I had insisted on our meeting right away. Cappuccino for me, Irish coffee for her. Time doesn't exist over Christmas. Might as well get started early. Out from her Mary Poppins bag came notebooks, pens, an iPad, a bulldog clip full of papers, and a Ziploc bag of homemade mince pies. She waved away the waiter before he could be bothered by her illicit pastries. 
Show me what you've got, and I'll share what I dug up after you called yesterday. She shot me a pursed lip to say I should have known not to call her mid-afternoon on Christmas Day. But I wasn't wrong. She did have a bunch of the files I needed, and probably some of the answers too. I'm sorry for dragging you back into it, but you have to admit, Sebastian is taking it a bit far, posting creepy dolls to Rocco's work. The broken angel figure had gone straight into the bin, and by the time I found the envelope and realised who must have sent it, we were too late to pick the pieces back out from amongst the remains of a big roast. So I had to explain its haunting presence to Lizzie, rather than bringing it with me. Very Sebastian to go too far, though. He was the only one of us who had stayed in that world when the rest had got out. He had moved away, but dove headfirst into Bible school. Most of us had put our Bibles back on the shelf, if not lost them altogether, after the incident. From conversations, I knew a few still found comfort in traditions of faith, but each had forged a very different paths. Sebastian's was a round road which took him right back to the start. The printouts I had been sent in a cream envelope were accounts from the three years our group of friends had primarily spent at St. Michael's. Lizzie had worked in admin at the church, volunteering two days and paid one. She had easily switched into working as a professional personal assistant after leaving. As I laid out the files, she explained these account details were accessible online for organisations registered as businesses. I had always assumed the church was a charity, but it had been a limited company all along. The accounts were broken down across multiple complicated-looking sheets of tables, with descriptions in between. One table on each had been circled in red pen, the annual payment figures of the trustees. I was stunned. While we were volunteering every free hour we had, Morgan had been pocketing 70000 a year taxable income with a 30000 house payment. 90000 paid off his house in three years. 210000 in income. And he was not the only one. Among the grown-ups, we remembered being his friends, always gathered close to him at the church but never seen doing the jobs, many were signed onto the organisation as trustees and received chunky house payments hefty love gifts, and income for consultancy. Lizzie and I assumed Sebastian had sent me this information following our run-in with Morgan at the party on Christmas Eve Eve. He could have just WhatsApped it instead of including the delicate and creepy angel decoration to get my attention. Mind you, it had worked. 70 grand might not seem a scandalous amount to some people. Lizzie shared her thoughts shuffling through the papers and jotting notes into a lined pad. But many folk in our congregation were living off of the food bank. Most in our group were students, I added. Or starting out after uni. First jobs don't pay much. Plus, we were told to tithe 20% minimum. Minimum, Lizzie echoed. Morgan would boast from the front of church of his own time at uni, giving us a spiel. God never let me go hungry. I had a box of cereal which never seemed to run out. Poured bowl after bowl for weeks. You cannot outgive God. When I was at university, like you lot are, I would give 30% of my earnings to the church. And it was as if God tripled my blessings for doing so. Tripled my grades. I always had A's, and I spent as much time praying as studying back then. 
I tapped the documents. Is Sebastian trying to hint Morgan was corrupt this whole time? More than hint, we already know Morgan was playing a dangerous game with us, teaching us something he did not believe. But the idea he was dragging money out of our purses and popping it into his mortgage, I'm furious. She bit into a mince pie. Juice burst out and down her chin, so she dabbed at it with a paper napkin. You were working for the church directly. I waved away a mince pie, then changed my mind and nabbed one. I was volunteering at small group and doing set-up on Sundays. Christine was on cleaning duty for six months while penning her dissertation. All the jobs we took with the understanding that God and G required our outward as well as inward devotion. We were not the only ones working for free. The food bank was fueled entirely on volunteer hours. Various small groups had been encouraged to start projects, such as gardening for local homes, in exchange for a small donation to the church. We were told these projects would build a family spirit between us, and that G would work his way out into the world via our hands and feet. Gabriel cannot leave the darkness, Morgan would preach, his words building towards a fever pitch. But you can. You can push a lawnmower in the light and pray the blessing of Gabriel over the grass as you go. You can carry Gabriel with you to paint a fence, leaving his presence in the houses you help out. We can transform this town and release Gabriel by doing in the daylight the tasks he asks of us in the dark. Trust me, I know. One of Lizzie's roles had been linking local needs with church volunteers. There had been a whole spreadsheet of congregant skill sets, and more. Her growing annoyance was waking up a specific set of memories. She had moved from short-term to long-term memory. Now she was bringing them back to the forefront of her mind, and was becoming steadily more agitated. Morgan had a pinboard in his inner office, with every name on it, and their secret shames. It was usually covered over with a cloth, but I occasionally glimpsed it. Small group leaders would feed back to the top team, any concerns about members gleaned from the shared stories over food. I thought about the times I had taken notes during the sharing of our best and worst thing we did this week. I had often fed these notes directly back to Morgan, never putting together all the connections. Lizzie nodded furiously. Yes, Annie would get on the phone with people who did not offer to volunteer and wear them down. He would tell them, Gee, can see your pride. You may not see it yourself, but there is a pride growing within you, which is bordering on a danger to your salvation. It's a block to receiving the joy of G's blessing. We have an opportunity to wash cars in town this weekend, which will help you reduce pride into humility. I would not ask it of you, but G only wants good things for you. Her Morgan impression was a whine, but convincing enough. And... All that time, donations were filling up his bank account and his friends. All above board, she waved the accounts. If the charity commission examined these, chances are they would agree with the consultancy fees. I shook my head. Everything we had put into that organisation was dust. And that's not all. Lizzie undid the papers from the bulldog clip, slapping them down onto the table. He kept a file on every one of us. My head was baffled. It felt like opening the door from a steamed-up bathroom and magically stepping right out into a pile of snow in Narnia. Clarity pulled fuzzy edges into sharp focus.
I felt the betrayal sharply, and it, it should have hurt more. I was used to numbing these memories, so having someone sit down and say, here are some facts about your past, was such a sharp shock, I couldn't quite process the injury. After the incident, we had all sensed with horror the harm St. Michael's ran on, hidden by outlets of kindness, such as housing a food bank for those in need, but none of us had been aware of how deep it had run, or how intentional it must have been. Was it modern-day slavery? Morgan's blessings from G had been bought and signed for by our hard work and offerings. I still had to cycle back to something Lizzie had said, that Morgan never believed. But in the meantime, the thud and claps of paperwork scattering all ways across the table drew me from my thoughts as I scooped paperwork away from the edges and prevented our drinks from getting knocked over. Lizzie tapped her empty glass. Can I get another? What are these? I copied all of the files with names I recognised, in case we ever needed them after, you know, the incident. I did know. Morgan had them in a drawer. I photocopied them while he was talking to the police before I got out of there. Each file had one of our names printed in bold type at the top. Our address at the time, details of employment, medical files. How did he get hold of those? A family tree, details of our dating life. Mine, blank. Dylan's, extensive. We shouldn't go through all these. I admitted it would be wrong to read too much, even though it was tempting. Didn't you date Dylan at one point? Ha ha! Didn't you date Dylan at one point? No, definitely not. Definitely not also. Lizzie's freshened drink arrived. A welcome interruption. Look at this section. She thumbed through one of the files. Spiritual gifts. Prophecy, healing, transportation, speaking angelic language. I felt the rumble of syllables pulse through my bones, as if crawling up the ladder of my ribs one by one to emerge instantaneously. But I shut my mouth to it and swallowed the sounds back down. He had us all listed by what we believed we could do, Lizzie said, and she flipped back to the beginning of the file. He was planning to move us to new locations to extend the brand. He was looking for true believers, see? Three files stamped TB for true believer. Yours, Seb's and Oscar's. I rubbed my thumb over the copied ink stamp. The original paperwork had been embossed where the rubber and ink had been pressed down tightly. Oscar, Sebastian and I were rubber stamped to be new leaders. It made sense. Morgan was always talking about an expansion and asking who we would put on our leadership team when the opportunity arose. The first couple of years, Morgan had focused on Sheffield in his sermons, but as time crept forward, he had begun to speak about the North. He had projected an image of the Angel of the North monument onto his screen at the front of church and declared it as a sign of the higher counties being won in G's name. Manchester, Leicester, Leeds. He had been planting seeds of new powerhouses to emerge from his brand of Christianity. Now she had started, Lizzie couldn't seem to stop. These were stories and ideas that had festered within her since the incident, since she had worked it all out. She had not been able to explain it to anyone else. Who would have understood at the time what she meant? It wasn't until I sent her photos of the documents Sebastian had sent me that she was reminded of the corruption and Morgan's original expansion plan. 
Even when she had originally understood his intention, she had assumed he meant it for good, so that the food banks and small groups could be expanded across the northeast. But now she understood it as a cynical cash grab instead, a pyramid scheme of faith. Her words continued to bubble out. The most absurd thing is that it was entirely made up. Lesser Light is an online event. Head to lesserlight.blog to join in the comment section or share this story on Facebook, Twitter, Hive or your favourite social media platform. The Lesser Light paperback is available from nunu.com or other booksellers or you can download the ebook now. But remember, no spoilers until New Year's Day. The story is fictional, but if the elements about trauma, cults or recovery have affected you, you can find helplines at lesserlight.blog.